0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Good day. Welcome to New Books in History, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Charles Cotillo of the Royal Historical Society. I'm a host on the channel, and today I'm pleased to have with us Professor Richard Toy. Professor Toy is Professor of History at Exeter University, and we also have with us Professor Stephen Fielding, who is Professor of Politics at the University of Nottingham. And today we are dealing with their new book, co-authored, The Churchill Myths, published by Oxford University Press. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Uh, gentlemen, why did you write this book? Well, I th-
0: if, I, if I can start, because I think um, the process started when our other co-author, um, Professor Bill Schwartz uh, of London University, um, he sent me um, a very long an essay based on a paper that he'd done in Australia that was making it was talking about Brexit through the prism of 1940 and how 1940 has been used and through um, obviously the person of Winston Churchill and a lot of that was actually the first third of of the book and and I'd been working um, on a book that was looking at representations of politics in fiction British politics in fiction and I came across um, perhaps inevitably lots of depictions of Winston Churchill and in my book I'd written a little bit about Churchill and how that how he fitted into different kinds of understandings of politics you know this great figure who'd saved Britain this is often how he's depicted in um fictions and and I and I thought I think as I think if, if I can give myself the uh <laughs> the, the the sort of um the role of, of of the generator here. Um, I thought, well, it, it'd be really great if we could kind of put these two bits together because I've got a huge amount of stuff I could write about Churchill's fictional depictions, but we need a real historian here. And who's the best? Who's the best Churchill historian um, that, that, that 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 we can lay our hands on? And and if they if they could come together with us too and somehow put something together that will say something kind of important, I think about. The role of Churchill um in terms of how Britons think about themselves, that' be that might be a book and we luckily um got in touch with Richard, who is without hopefully giving him any blushes. I think he is our leading Churchill scholar um and and really luckily for us, he agreed and and we we sort of fitted it all together, but I don't know how richard saw saw the thing coming together.
2: Well, uh, as a matter of fact, I met Bill at a conference in Gibraltar. It was a conference about Brexit or the sort of links between Brexit and the end of empire. And um, you know, similarly, I um, sort of saw a version of the paper which Steve mentioned. And um, you know, I was uh, when uh, Bill and Steve followed up with an email. I was I was kind of keen keen to get on board with with such distinguished scholars. So. Um, I think the other thing to mention, of course, is the is the timing in that we actually finished writing the book. Uh, I think pretty much literally on the day in which Boris Johnson became Prime Minister. You know, we had to stop some point. Of course, we could have gone on and talked about the way in which Churchill has been used um you know, during the coronavirus pandemic of course but one had to sort of pick some sort of endpoint and Johnson who of course had written a book about churchill which had come out in 2014 and um is obviously associated himself very much with with churchill's image you know at that precise moment it seemed like a like a good moment to kind of draw a line
0: and and i think also i mean the the, uh, the impending 80th anniversary of 1940. I think there was some anticipation that would probably generate a whole new wave of Churchill Churchill stuff, um, uh, which it did. Although it was it was slightly subdued given given the impact of COVID. So so all in all, basically you should be talking to Bill Schwartz because he seems like he was the most important person of the three in bringing everything together.
1: How uh, do you employ the term myth in the book?
2: Well, I think we do it in slightly different ways, according to yeah. the chapters. I mean, I, I suppose that you know, Steve can talk about the, the role of um, sort of myth in in fiction. Um, and you know, that's obviously a powerful way in which certain ideas are kind of reproduced because you know, people don't always often distinguish or you know, can't quite remember you know, what they've seen that is factual and what they have seen, which is which they've picked up from a, a movie or a TV series. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, you know, sort of Bill has his own sort of focus on kind of the myth of 1940. I mean, I suppose that from my point of view, the, the way it works is that you see you do see it in debates over um, Brexit and the way in which Churchill has been invoked by both sides. That is to say that what you've got is a very obviously a very important symbolic figure who um, is used both by those who wish to say, well, actually, Churchill was a sort of strong pro-European and he would have been against Brexit versus those who portray him in a more conventional fashion as a kind of patriotic icon and who they assume would have been in in favour of Brexit. But I suppose what goes unquestioned in that debate, although people, you know, actually make valid arguments, I think, on both sides about exactly what Churchill's views were, um, you know, what is unquestioned often seems to be the assumption that, well, if Churchill was in favour of something, um, you know, then everybody else should be in favour of it too, which, you know, although he had very interesting things to say about Europe, I, I suppose I'm, I'm slightly sceptical about. So I think that myth in that sense is the kind of, um, in a sense, where the, where the kind of the rational thinking stops and where the sort of the image and the symbolic power takes over.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of a matter of degree. I think Richard's right, we've probably all three of us have got different ways of thinking about myth. And there are so many ways of thinking about myth. And I think what we wanted to, to avoid um principally was basically to be the judges um and to be, you know, saying that this is the right way to think about Churchill or um this is the wrong way to think about Churchill because there are plenty of people out there who do precisely that. Um I mean I'd I'd probably have a very sort of lax way of thinking about myth which is it's a way of thinking about the past it's it's a particular system a particular configuration of themes of tropes of of kind of emphases um about the past that different people have of of different things and of course with churchill there's a kind of and i i did i, I sort of traced it a bit through um looking at the changing ways in which churchill is seen in in fictions in dramatizations there is a there is clearly a within British political culture and and British life um, and certainly English life, a particularly dominant way of seeing Churchill as the saviour of Britain in 1940, the great man that, you know, basically pulled the British up by their bootstraps, inspired them to stand up to Hitler. That's one way. Uh, that's one particular myth. There are other myths. Uh, there's a, a left wing myth. If you were sat from South Wales, if you're living in a coal community, you believe that Churchill was the man who hated the working class, who sent in the troops before the First World War to shoot miners. Um, so it's it's really about thinking. The book was really about thinking about different ways of thinking about Churchill, but obviously focusing on how he's been used by the, the powerful. And I mean, latterly, of course, Boris Johnson. But um, but used by others, and lacking like them the united states there 's a whole myth, myth about Winston Churchill in the United States, which overlaps with the one in Britain, and to some extent the one the one in Britain is actually um, a version of the American myth of winston churchill um, it 's kind of an interesting way in which um, the British myth, the dominant British myth, is kind of a, an example of the Americanization of British political culture because America's played a very big role. Um, in in creating a certain idea of Churchill, so I think um, we're quite liberal although there are lo- there are lots of other sort of versions of the idea of myth, lots of people theorized about myth who are very much more dogmatic, i think than possibly Richard and bill and i uh
1: what in your opinion is Boris Johnson's approach to the historical Churchill shameless, I would say. <laughs> he,
0: he te- um i mean uh i've i'm i'm i mean richard will have richard knows far more about the real churchill and how uh, boris johnson's book matches up to the real churchill but he he saw in churchill uh an opportunity and he seized it um and he seized it particularly successfully um he he wrote his book i think in 2014 something like that so he was still he was still mayor of london um But he had ambitions to be leader of the Conservative Party. So um, who was the best person to try to appropriate if you wished to appeal to the ageing sort of white, um, relatively well off male um, population uh, that are the Conservative membership um, who all think Churchill is the bee's knees and you can't do any better than Churchill? Um, you, You write a book about Churchill and you say, I'm like Churchill. Um, But as as Bill points out um, in in his section, he he turns actually he turns Churchill into a version of Boris Johnson. But he 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 basically takes what he wants from Churchill um, and he leaves all the other bits um, to one side. Yes, I think
2: I would also add that um, there's a kind of an assumption. I suppose that Boris Johnson's working assumption must be that if he can associate himself with Churchill, who is, very popular then he you know, Boris Johnson will become more popular but i think there's also the possibility that um if he ties himself too closely to churchill then actually it causes churchill to become more unpopular uh, if if boris johnson also becomes unpopular so in other words i would think that some of the that there's been you know sort of lots of controversy about you know churchill's views on race for example i mean as of course there often is but i think it has intensified over the last couple of years and i think that there's sort of a relationship between um in a way churchill becoming a lightning rod for what people think about
0: boris johnson Mm. yes and there's there is a danger for for boris johnson in this as well because he kind of sets himself up as um, the inheritor of various churchillian kind of characteristics uh, but but that can then be used against Boris Johnson himself. The myth of Churchill, or a or a version of the myth of Churchill, can be used against him, um, as it was um, during the COVID crisis. I mean, he wasn't standing up, stepping up, and using the resources of government in the same way that Churchill would have done or did do during the Second World War. And actually, on um, on on Twitter, like like there was during the American presidential campaign, um, there was the thing called the Lincoln Project. Which I think was uh, run by, or at least purported to be run by, um, kind of mainstream traditional Republicans who were anti Trump and would kind of have a go at him on that basis and using Lincoln as this great exemplar um, of republicanism. um, There is now um, something which emulates that called the Churchill Project, which is very much against. Um, Boris Johnson. And the implication is, of course, that Churchill was this exemplar of traditional principled conservatism, which, of course, Richard will know better than, than me, is, is an utterly fantastical view of Churchill. But, he's be, but that's now being used against Johnson. I mean, it's only on Twitter. So what its influence will be, I don't know. But there, is, there are dangers for when you appropriate someone from the past like Churchill that it can be used against you.
1: At a certain point in the book, you concentrate on three academics who have contributed to the Churchill myth. Who were they and why did they factor in your book?
2: Well, I think if I can speak about one of them, uh, Andrew Roberts, who I think has obviously been very successful, uh, not only with his biography of Churchill, which came out a couple of years ago, but uh, with a large number of books often having a, a Churchill focus. Over the last uh, well more than than sort of 25 years, but I think there was an interesting shift in the um, in the way in which although I don't think Andrew Roberts has really changed his opinions um, uh, in the way in which he has actually dealt with Churchill. So that when he published a book called Eminent Churchillians, a, a kind of a book of essays in 1994, when he was quite a young man, um, he had a chapter on Churchill's views on race, in which he um, pointed out uh, various racist statements which Churchill had made during the course of his life and uh, rightly, I think, actually argued at that time that um, it wasn't sufficient to just say, well, Churchill was a man of his time because other people at the time had sort of objected to these views and criticised them. So you couldn't just say, well, sort of everybody thought like like that back then. Now, uh, although I don't think that that Roberts has just changed his, his political views, he's now moved much more into the, well, Churchill was just a, a man of his time uh, column. So, I mean, I, I do have some respect for some of the work which which Roberts has done over the years. And so, you know, I I I, I don't want to... You know, poor scorn on his historical skills, but I do think that he has uh, actually rather opportunistically uh, shifted his view of Churchill to um, sort of he he was very much criticized in 1994, and now he's much more kind of embraced by uh, sort of the establishment and uh, the the sort of the Daily Telegraph line of thinking, if you like. So I I do think that it was sort of worth observing. this shift and commenting on it
1: and actually you can notice the same uh discrepancy between uh, Churchill as described in his I believe it's his first book on Lord Halifax and his subsequent uh, particularly after 1994 discussion of Churchill in other work but this this,
0: this yes. is actually I'm oh, sorry No,
2: no, no, go ahead. I mean, I I was just going to say I do like the the biography of of Halifax again and and think it's an interesting book. But again, you you say you can see significant changes in the way
0: in which he uh, deals with the with the events of 1940. Yeah, I mean, Roberts is is obviously an interesting case of, of a shift, but you can also see how Churchill is is different. I mean, Churchill... How he's used um, becomes is much more flexible now in terms of dramas. And so it becomes a, a completely ahistorical Churchill. So in the King's speech, bec- they want they, they turn Churchill um, into the friend of King George the VI, um, who he wasn't. Uh, before the Second World War, and um, and George also George VI as an anti appeaser, um, so in in some ways Churchill becomes um, everybody's flexible friend. I mean, like like I said that Boris Johnson uses uses the Churchill which is convenient for himself, and and obviously historians are in a more subtle way act. To do that, and filmmakers are completely indiscriminate in how they how they use Churchill.
1: Would it be true to say that the myth of Churchill, as it uh, resonated in in during the war years, opposed itself to popular political agency?
0: I I I think you've nailed it there. Um, I, I completely agree with you there because during during the Second World War, I mean, because the British establishment made made such a mess of the early early months of the war and it and that made a mess of preparations for the war itself and led to Dunkirk. I mean, Churchill himself would have to be abstracted from all of that. He was not responsible um, for all of for for all of that. Uh, But because of the disaster at Dunkirk, there was a political crisis um, and the British establishment had to mobilize the country in a way that they never thought they would have to and didn't want to do um, at all. Uh, and under Churchill's leadership with Labour in Labour now in the in the coalition government, it became a people's war. I mean, this is how it was. You know, propaganda was always emphasising the agency of the people in the in the factories producing the armaments, the good old soldiers. And and actually to kind of use my the way that I look at Churchill a bit for this, you you see a shift in films. That um, in the early days of the war, it was still, you know, officers being officers and doing that. They were the heroes of the early war films. And then from 1940, it's ordinary people are the heroes. Um, officers mm. don't really appear very much. So it's a people's war. And and actually it's it stops becoming a people's war um, slowly after, you know, into the early 1950s. And Churchill is a useful device for the for, for the established forces in Britain. To to kind of not 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 deny the people's war, but just to ignore it and to place all the emphasis on Churchill himself and his agency. You know, he saved the British people. He was the one that mobilized the British people to do these good things. But not, it wasn't the British people themselves without Churchill. They'd have been lost, which is really, you know, during the war itself, you know, mass observation and others observed people listening to Churchill's speeches. They were they, they weren't necessarily inspired by Churchill. They were swearing at Churchill in some cases, certainly during the 1942. So, yeah, it's he's he's a use, He's been a useful device for kind of um, I think one, one, one historian called it the re- the greatest restoration of 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 of, um, of established values since 1688 that occurred during the 50s um, in Britain. I was just going to
2: add as well on the on the lines which uh, Steve was saying, um, you know that as Steve says, of course, many of Churchill's speeches attracted more. Controversy and criticism than, than popularly assumed, although there, there always was a large body of people who, who did like them. And indeed, a significant number of people, I would say, who who were inspired. But the sort of the people who didn't like them, which was, nor, was generally being considered to be sort of you know tiny kind of fringe, was was at various times much larger. However, you know, very interestingly, in July 1940, one of the speeches which we can really see genuinely was uh, popular and, and really did get a lot of uh, enthusiasm across the board was a speech called the war of the unknown warrior which churchill gave which was very much on the kind of the the people's war type of line uh, which is now being um sort of almost entirely forgotten i think in favor of the speeches um you know about the few um and the you know, finest hour and so on um which um you know, of course, were were very good speeches, but actually didn't receive the the same warmth of reception as as this now forgotten speech.
0: And actually, um, as as Richard will know better than me, um, in his memoirs um, or somewhere, he said that he himself said he wasn't the lion. He was merely the roar of the lion. So in so whether he really meant that, it was being, you know, it was a bit of humble bragging there. I don't know, but 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 Churchill at least gestured to the idea that you know he 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 was he was in the mix, and you can't deny, and I would not want to deny that he had an important role at a very particular time um, in in British history. You know, as as being very important in deciding that Britain would fight on in the summer of 1940. Within that. Clement Attlee, the Labour Party, those people who were in in the coalition, they supported him, were more active in that, and th- and their role has been somewhat um, sidelined um, in all of that. So Churchill, I think he he, he recognised um, some of some of it, some of the agency of the people, but subsequently that has been um, pushed, you know, particularly in the immediate post-war period in the 50s and in the 60s, um, it's, it was pushed to the sidelines.
1: Which side do you believe made more of uh, Churchill's image in the Brexit debate?
2: Well, I, I would say um, you know, this has kind of been going on for a long time, so that if we actually look back to the 1975 referendum on on um, EEC membership, then Churchill was and you know, his views were being argued about then, and both sides were using him. I would say that on the whole... Um, although there have always been um, you know, people including um, you know, sort of churchill 's sort of relatives or um, uh, as you so for example you know winston churchill jr churchill 's grandson was was arguing in one thousand nine hundred and seventy five that uh, you know his grandfather had been a sort a of passionate pro european um, and, and, and these these interventions have maybe been reasonably effective, I would say that the most effective interventions have actually been those which Don't try and make an argument about Churchill's specific views by kind of analyzing text, but simply uh, deploy his image. So um, if you go back to to 2009, for example, uh, the United Kingdom Independence Party, UKIP, was campaigning in the European parliamentary elections. Um, you know, with its own slogans on the posters and then a massive picture of Churchill. And they didn't make the explicit argument and Churchill would have agreed with us. They created that impression simply by, by using his image. So I would say that the, the Remain side um, has not been particularly effective in, in its use of Churchill because it kind of gets bogged down in, in various specific arguments. And it's the use of, of the, the iconography, which has probably been most effectively used by the Brexit side.
0: Yes, I, I mean I'd I'd agree with with Richard there, and, and partly that's because um, I mean the the dominant Churchillian myth is one that resonates with older um, older people and not with younger people of a more liberal um, kind of persuasion, and and, th- and those were the people that wanted to remain. So there, if they had any idea of who Churchill was at all, um, younger remainers would have been probably. You know, they would have heard he was a bit of a racist, you know, doing history at university or something. And and so using Churchill in that way wouldn't necessarily have been a good mobilising force. But, yeah, just having a bit of having Churchill doing his doing his V sign um, would would be something that older, um, older voters that would have all kinds of things would have been triggered by that. So so they didn't really need to say very much. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So, yeah, the Leave, Leave campaign kind of used. They, they went with the flow in terms of the dominant myth. And I'm not sure how much of, a, of an effect that had in terms of mobilising their vote. But it was certainly a useful image, um, given that one of the things, and Boris Johnson said this as much as anybody, one of the things, justifications or um, when when Lee said, well, no, we can we can stand alone. is that they were using 1940 as a the example of, of when Britain last stood alone against a. Um, a German-dominated Europe, which, of course, some of them thought that's what the EU was anyway. Um, so it kind of fitted in with all kinds of things. Um, so yeah, Leave hands down yeah, were able to use Churchill.
1: How does the Churchill myth operate in the cinema and on television?
0: Well, when when you I mean make, making TV programs, um, dramas, period dramas in particular, films um, of that same thing, of that same ilk are expensive, right? So you, you, people that make films usually want to make money and you don't usually make money by challenging your audience. Um, so the, so basically, um, you know, fictionalized versions, certainly on the big and the small screen, um, have gone with the flow with, um, with, with the established dominant Churchill myth, um, They've been uh, there, there is some variation in them. I mean, if if you look at I mean, and they also focus usually on on the stereotypical Churchillian moment, you know. So if he's 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 opposing Hitler in the late 30s and he's standing up to Hitler in the 1940s, they they tend to kind of keep coming back to that again and again and again and again and when they don't there's a danger they might be presenting the audience with a Churchill that they're not familiar with because you know it's, it's easily forgotten most people even in britain don't know that much about winston churchill right so but they've got some sense of who he is so filmmakers want to attach their product to what people think that they know um so there are some sort of interesting variations um and particularly latterly Um, Within within that dominant mix, some brave filmmakers have have kind of stood outside the the dominant period, the dominant Churchillian period. So there was a film um, which came out the same same year as Darkest Hour, actually, but was generally speaking, overlooked. And it certainly didn't have the money invested in it that 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 did, um, which looked at and it was called Churchill. And and it looked at Churchill um, at at the moment at which D-Day was happening. And this was a Churchill that was thinking what what's my role now?" you know a quite depressed Churchill. I mean we know that Churchill did suffer from depression um someone who was thinking, "What is my role in in this new Britain that's emerging you know basically have i have I had my day and and actually it it kind of replayed it was, it was still a bit of Churchillian rhetoric and inspiration in that, but it was it was looking at a slightly different Churchill, and the crown um, starts with Churchill in the um, in his kind of dotage in his the time when he gets re-elected in 1951 and it's a very funny and sometimes very touching performance uh, that john lithgow gives of churchill i mean he must be the only actor that's played churchill and roosevelt i'm not sure he's played stalin but he's, he's, done, he's done he's done quite a lot um and it's and it's the aging churchill it's the churchill in decline it's the churchill who's kind of a bit vain and a bit camp and you know it's he's not the hero Anymore. So that's so there are some variations, but it doesn't. But I, I don't think all of these variations will really ultimately challenge um, the, the continued idea of Churchill, the man who saved Britain in, in different ways. in 1940. I mean, I
2: I would, If I could just add in as well, just as a sort of supplement that um, back in 1972, Richard Attenborough made a film called Young Winston, mm. which um, it doesn't challenge the myth, I don't think, uh, but I think it's actually a very good film. And it uh, does kind of give a different perspective. Um, And you sort of see um, this sort of young man at the end of the film is sort of starting to morph into adopting familiar Churchillian mannerisms. So, I mean, I think he's a very effective film, but I think that that's been done. And I think that um, otherwise people are going to do the Churchill of the 30s or 40s or possibly occasionally, as Steve says, the 50s. And there's probably not really much of a market or, you know, or could there be for the Churchill of the First World War or the Churchill of the Edwardian period uh, or the Churchill of the 1920s?
0: Well, we do. I mean, you're, and you're absolutely right about young, young Winston. I mean, that, that was basically, I think, modelled on young Mr. Lincoln, Ford's um, film from the 30s about, you know, the origin basically an origin story about Winston, mm-hmm. Winston Churchill. Um, but, but that was bookended by the E-Day. So it was but it but it didn't do very yes. well. It didn't do very well because I think it did give people of Churchill they didn't they weren't quite familiar with and maybe they didn't quite like. Um, but, yeah, we have had the little bits. We've had Churchill, you know, in in Peaky Blinders, um, who basically was um, supporting, you know, illegal, illegal murders of anyone that challenged the British state in the in the immediate post First World War period. But nothing major yet that has really looked at him. We haven't really had very much at all about Churchill in India. For example, um, that you would I think you would be a brave and perhaps foolhardy producer who decided you were going to make a big, big production number about Winston Churchill. That was going to suggest he might have been a little bit racist to suggest he didn't really love the working class in Britain as much as some people might have thought that basically and, and was possibly a bit of a misogynist and had opposed the um, the suffrage acts. You, you would you would be quite brave. I mean, there would be a market for it, um, maybe as a novel or uh, a kind I, of.
2: I, yes, I, I think you're right, Steve. There wouldn't really be much of a market because the people who, you know,
0: don't like Churchill aren't going to go and see a film about him, even if it slags <laughs> him off. I don't. Think. <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. And and where would the American money come from? Because most of these things do need American money. And are you going to how many America? because. How, how, you know, I don't really know about the politics of Churchill fans in the United States, but I get the impression there's a lot of, um, you know, middle-aged men wearing bow ties of a certainly bit bit of a right-wing disposition. They 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 won't want to watch those those. I mean, they're, they're the ones that really actually the film Churchill that I mentioned that showed that he got a bit depressed at times, which we know that he did. They they just didn't accept it. And 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 a lot of those people that were attacking the film for this idea of Churchill as a flawed you know human person were coming mostly from the United States.
1: You end the book by highlighting the connection, as you see it, between Steve Bannon, Boris Johnson and Churchill. Is that not a little bit of a stretch?
2: no I, I don't think it 's a stretch i mean if you look at you know what uh you know, steve bannon has has actually said um be, being interviewed on camera um I think that he um you know on he he's he 's got his own version of Churchill, which is Sort of you know, weirdly, uh, Churchill, the expression of the sort of authentic white working class. Mm. Um, and also, you know, sort of Bannon and, and, and Boris Johnson um, received to be friends or at least to have been in close contact mm. with each other. Um, so I think that, um, you know, I'm sure you could argue about how important is this really in Steve Bannon's thought. Obviously, he's, you know, this is a, a sort of small portion of. Um, you know, what we quote is a small portion of the words which he said about um, you know, sort of all sorts of issues. But um, I think that, uh, you know, it, 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 what, what Steve was saying about sort of the American myth and the British myth is is important. There is a kind of a link up. It's, it's very interesting the ways in which the Americans have actually appropriated. Uh, a British myth. I mean, of course, they appropriated Churchill to a certain extent by kind of granting him or, or, honorary American citizenship in 1963, which you know allowed then Lyndon Johnson to always refer to uh, Churchill as the greatest of all Americans. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, I do think that they that um, you know uh, so without people necessarily being terribly interested in the history and much more. Much more being interested in Churchill as a useful myth that he can be used as a kind of stereotype of of effective leadership that sort of supposedly somebody – I don't really believe this was true about Churchill – but somebody who kind of rode roughshod over everybody else's opinions – um, and that that can then be used as a, as a sort of supposed uh, or, or misleading model of leadership as to how how the leaders actually ought to act. In fact, Churchill, although certainly he often looked a bit like he was behaving that he did sort of, you know, um, stamp his foot and sort of bang his fist and so on. Actually, when he was presented with a kind of a reasoned, logical case, usually, you know, admittedly, after quite a lot of wearing down, he would give in
0: to you know, common sense and good advice and and more more widely, i mean the bannon kind of imaginary of you know white working class backing up this um a kind of a racist churchill um eth- eth- you know ethnically poor churchill um last last summer when when black lives matter protesters or some or one kind of you don 't really need one more, more than one person to do it kind of scrawled racist on churchill's statue in Westminster during one of the black lives matter protests the week after um I forget which organisation or organisations kind of did a, a counter protest. But but as many white ra- British white racists that you could find turned up um, at Westminster again to defend, in inverted commas, the Churchill statue. And people were heard chanting, you know, Churchill, he's one of us. So um, I think there has been an attempt um, on, on the fringes. Of the very far right fringes um, of, of of British and American politics to use Churchill, but then again, everybody's kind of using Churchill, um, so that it, it'd be odd if they didn't. But but certainly they are using Churchill um, in their in their culture wars.
1: On that observation, I would like to thank you very much, gentlemen, for being so kind as to speak with uh, us today. This is Charles Cotillo. Thanks for listening to New Books in History podcast channel the new books network thank you gentlemen very much
0: thank you yeah good thanks for the questions